You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder of Bonsai Creative with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So the the question is, when, when you hear that, like, what is the first song? I think Lionel Richie. I go Lionel, hello, yep, over me too. hello. Every day, like every day, all day. Like that's what I go for, man. It's just, the, uh, both songs are beautiful, yeah. but honestly, the fact that he was singing to this blind girl, man, like it just. <laughs> the video, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Like anybody who's listening who doesn't really know about that, like doesn't have the feels, like you need to go look for that video on YouTube and watch Hello, Lionel Richie and it will forever be the first song you think of. Like Adele is wonderful, but sorry, you you can't match that video. I think it's interesting because I think there will be a lot of people that listen to this that have never heard of the song and never seen the video if they have heard of the song. So go to YouTube, watch the video. (laughs) So I'm not going to front. I'm not going to be that guy's like, oh, Lionel's better because he's from my generation. No, Adele sings her version of Hello to me two times better than Lionel. Uh, that she, she just has more range. She's just oh, a yeah, better vocally. Yeah, yeah, she's just a better singer. But the video, yeah, the concept, <sighs> the just... the actual sort of chord play. I, you know, I, may, I might go with Lionel there. Yeah, I have to. It's it's awesome. Like I said, it's it's the video that got me. Period. Like I like the song, but the video got me. The the video. So back then, like videos were not just a a, a compliment to the song they were they were the the launch pad for the song they they were part of the song they were connected to it and you didn't like the song separate from the video now it's like you can hear the song and never see the video the videos have become a commodity which is unfortunate us being an independent film and so many independent great independent filmmakers make their living doing music videos and, you know, the great music videos are still out there. Those are the ones that get awards and you see them and they play in different spots. But in general, a music video today can be someone with their own setup and just like in their room doing crazy stuff to really fast cuts. Right. Yep. And that's like a music video. And then the song kind of you know sits on its own. Uh, like the number one song in the country right now is, is a song that you cannot avoid named Driver's License by uh, Olivia Rodrigo, right? And is that her name? Olivia Rodrigo? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fact check me on that. Yeah. <laughs> sort, of, <laughs> sort, of, sort of out of my genre. But, um, but the, uh, or out of, out of sort of the, 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 because um, it's pop music, right? It's not yeah, a genre right. I'm out Rodrigo. of. Yeah, it's not a yeah. genre I'm out of, but I'm, I'm in the genre. But the point is, is I'm not really checking for her, right? But, 
I think her video is just like a piano or like in the desert or something, or just like, it's just, it's, it's not like, uh, it's not like the over the top stuff we used to see. Like, let's say like the scream video from Michael Jackson. Yeah. That's, or any of anything by Michael Jackson, right. It, it forced you to emote. Like that was the difference, right. Mm-hmm. It, it created emotional and emotional connection between you and the, and the song. Yes. Right. That's the difference. And that's why they were inseparable, you know, black, you know, black and white, you know, mm-hmm. or black or white. Right. That was same thing. Like you, dirty. Diana. I can't, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't think of any of those songs without thinking about the videos. So yeah, there's definitely a connection there that maybe that was maybe it's something of the past. I don't know. I mean, I can't say that no one's doing it, but maybe it just feels like it's not as uh, prevalent these days. Yeah, I hope it's not a thing in the past. I hope like things are cyclical like they always are. Maybe there'll be like an NFT, right? Like these non-fungible transfer type assets that bring videos back and people can actually own a music video. Oh my God, I just gave a billion dollars away. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I will say this. When you talk about Michael Jackson videos, for some reason, I don't know what it says about me. But all I thought was, oh, yeah, Michael Jackson had the You Are Not Alone video where his dick poked out. Oh, and, come on, man. And yeah, that's what I thought about. He purposely did that the way that Janet purposely did the nipple thing at the Super Bowl performance. And that just made me realize, OK, both Jacksons have said, OK, we're going to take it there. Like we want to go we want to go full viral here before viral existed. Let's bring out the body parts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to skip to the next subject. <laughs> well, Michael was Michael was wearing a lacy veil. He was wearing was, a lacy veil. Hey, and you are not alone. I'm ready. Great I'm song. Ready. Written I'm by ready. R. Kelly, by the way. Yeah. And I don't know what that means either, but I just right. have, I happen yeah, to know that. Skip, skip, skip. <laughs> well, the reason we bring this stuff up is because all of these things, but most importantly, Lionel Richie's Hello video. Yep inspired us, inspired us into a world of art, in a world of music. And that's the main subject for today's indie talk is this concept of inspiration. And I think we hear differing opinions and philosophies on this, but the one I hear that's sort of most persistent right now is this idea that you cannot wait for opportunity, uh, opportunity, maybe not, <laughs> maybe opportunity is inspiration. All right. To, to strike, to hit you. You have to have, when we had Priscilla Wise on the podcast and she talked about this and a few others have as well, which is it's more of a job. You wake up in the morning, you sit down at your desk and if you're not inspired, it doesn't matter. Like you pump out the work, like you sit down, you do it, you pump out the work. But I think in contrast to that, I'm a songwriter. I've written hundreds of songs. I, I play piano every day and I always do better. I always have better work. I always have more to say. I'm always more honest when inspiration strikes me. And you, my friend, have a separate sort of passion you do called Nick's Words, where you write poems based on the inspiration. Sort of famously, you 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 always say, I was inspired by this person's picture, image, post, etc. And here's a poem based on that. It's a very clever thing. I like it a lot. But you let inspiration strike and then you write. But at the same time, you had the discipline to write a poem a day for three straight years. 
So I don't know. What do you think about this concept of work now, whether you're inspired or not, or wait for inspiration to strike and then write something great? Yeah, I definitely agree with the notion that you can't wait um, just because you'll be waiting, not necessarily forever, but you have a lot of potential that's just going to be sitting around, right? So basically, as long as you're waiting, you have untapped potential. So yeah, with Nick's words, you know, that wasn't something where, you know, I was just inspired and I wrote something. No, I was like actively seeking the inspiration, you know, and then that's when it, the spark would hit. So like with Nick's words, like you said, for like three straight years, you know, I wrote at least one poem every day. And that was at least sometimes it was two or three, but every day, and that was, uh, that was inspired by the person in the photo that you'll see on my Instagram. Right. So what I would do is, you know, there were certain things that people are doing out there in the world where inspiration was a significant part of their lives. So anytime you want to change your station, change your, uh, physique, change your health, change your fitness, whatever it is, inspiration is a big thing because those things are hard to do. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I, as, you know, you know, at at one point in my life, I actually ran, you know, my own gym. And, you know, one of the things that we would always say there is that like your network is very important when it comes to your success in the gym, right? It's, it comes down to, when I say your network, basically it's just your, your circle of influence. So your spouse, it could be your friends, it could be your coworkers, it could be other people in the gym, um, basically if you have other people supporting you, it makes it so much easier to do the thing that you desire to do. This is why you go to group fitness classes, right? You have other people there to, to cheer you on and root you on. So that's what I would do. I would find these people who are looking to, uh, do something better for themselves and, you know, just look at their photo and, you know, they would write something in the caption as you do on Instagram. And every time, I mean, this is, it's insane, you know, like, again, once a day for three years, it's a lot of poetry. But what would happen is I'd see these things again, because I actively sought them out. And then the words basically wrote themselves as I've told so many people on Instagram who thank me for those poems. I'm like, you know, I'm just a vessel. That's what it comes out to. Like these words were there, like they're out there in the universe. And when I saw this picture with this comment, all of a sudden the words just came to me and I was the vessel to put that inspiration back out there in the world. And then, you know, they thank me for it, whatever. But the, the whole idea is that, you know, I'm inspired by these people. I would not have been inspired by them had I not sought them out. So I think there's a big part of that, which is, you know, going out there looking for it. And you can do this in so many ways. I know that, Chris, you've done it yourself in the songwriting business, right? Like you've gone out there and read newspapers, right? Read magazines and looked at the headlines, you know, and you just look at that and say, well, how can I write based off this headline? You're seeking it out. You're not sitting, you know, in a dark room waiting to be inspired. You're looking for opportunities to do that. And I think that's super important to do. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up and there's a lot to dig in there on, on what you said. So I'll, I'll try to take it back to the beginning and, and, and maybe land on the songwriting piece you just mentioned. So the workout thing, I can't, I can't agree with you more. Every time I've been in really great shape where I've seen demonstrative change, 
in my physique or my ability or my strength or my gains or whatever it is, it has always come with a workout partner. So the network, uh, it's that, you know, you're the average of the five people you're around most kind of thing. But, yep. but even beyond that, I think it's, if you, if you can have a network of one that will work out with you, it'll be great. And it reminds me of, of some of these writer sprints. I know John August who uh, wrote Aladdin most recently, but that's known for go and big fish. And he has the script notes podcast with Craig Mason. Shout out to John August and Craig Mason. They'll, they'll get on Twitter and they'll do these writer sprints where and sprint is kind of a word from tech, right? So he's taking this word from, from it, the it world and saying, Hey, in the coding world really and saying, Hey, let's go out and, do a, uh, you know, a sprint, but for writing and everybody will say one, two, three, go. And we're all writing. But I think if you want to even create a stronger network, and this is why people have personal trainers, I think, or go to CrossFit classes uh, or buy a Peloton. It's because there's a network effect to it, but then there's also this added thing of I'm not only paying for this, but I'm accountable to another person who I have to confront socially at some point or another. And I cannot have them. I, I, I cannot allow myself to fall below the standard that I told them I was. Right. Yeah, for sure. But and this happens all the time, right? Like the like this is this is why uh, <laughs> you don't ever admit anything you do <laughs> that was below your standard to someone else, because you just don't want them to know that about you. Like you want to keep that failure inside, right? And but it's highly, highly, highly effective to have just a network of one. Because I tell you what, my friends outside of the one person that was going to the gym with me, total shit hits. <laughs> <laughs> Donuts for breakfast, you right. know, yeah. drugs for dinner. <laughs> okay. Like this is, this is not the group you, 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 you formulate strong habits and, and positive change around. Okay. Right. Yeah. Back, back in my twenties, I should say these days, my network is, is just roses. It's roses. It's beautiful, creative people who are doing the right things all the time. I love it. And, and they inspire me all the time. So totally agree with that. But except I would say you just need one person. If you could just do one person, have one person that holds you accountable that isn't yourself. And then maybe you combine it with like a personal trainer. Boom. And so what that makes me think about is we should do physical sprints. There are writers rooms. There are writers groups you can be a part of. Now, all the writers groups I've been a part of, Nick, you come in, they read a scene or read a chapter if you're writing a book, and then they give you honest feedback. And that is valuable and on its own, okay? But it doesn't help you with the discipline part of it and the inspiration part of it at all. And also, those things become hierarchical quickly, right? Like you've pretty quickly, like in three weeks, you find out who's the writer who thinks they have, have the best chance at, at, you know, massive success. Who thinks they run the room? Who's the leader? Who actually is the leader? Has it become political? Who's sleeping with who? <laughs> right? All this stuff There's a starts lot of to, drama going on. Right. Like that writer's group, <laughs> if that writer's group has 12 people in it, it might as well be filmed. It's going to be a sitcom in about three weeks. Right. right? It sounds like it. 
instead of that concept, Nick, what we need is a writer sprint that's together where it's like a personal training for writers or, or any type of creator. So it's almost like an incubator, right? Okay, we're going to come in, set time, 8.15 every morning. You show up, you write for 45 minutes. So 8.15 to 9, we're all writing together. And whoever owns the room, the space that everyone comes and writes in, you pay them. So now they're skin in the game. I don't know. What do you think? Before I go to the rest of the stuff, what do you think about that, Nick? That just, I think that's, that could work. Yeah, I think it could. You know, I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about, you know, you could say the filmmaking world. Cause you know, you say, you say writing, but you know, why couldn't that work for acting? It you know, why couldn't everything. that work for, right, exactly. So, oh, and, and by know, the way, it does work not to cut you off, but it does work for acting. It's called right. acting class. Right. Right. But it's a little bit, but it's a little bit different. Right. Where I think that there's what I'm curious about is like, like, okay. So for the acting side, I feel like that might happen more often than others. Right. So here's an example. Uh, So writing. Okay. For, for, for one, like are people going to writing classes with the frequency that people go to acting classes? I'll give you another one. Editing. You know, do people go to editing classes as often as, as actors go to acting classes? Let's give you another one. Let's talk about lighting, right? Do people go to lighting classes as often as actors go to acting classes? So I think, like you said, it's, it's a proven thing, right? Through acting, it's a proven thing through personal training, right? That right. these types of classes where you pay someone, so one, you're accountable, right? For, for meeting some level of expectation because you're paying for it, but two, you're accountable to, you know, that person or the other people who are in the class to show up and and do your best. Um, But is that something that is really uh, something that the other groups want? Like do editors want that? Do writers want that? Do, you know, cinematographers want that? Like, are they seeking these things out? Now, again, the value is obviously there and it's been proven time and time again. But if we were to set up, you know, an editor's boot camp, you know, that, that meets at 815 to 915 in the morning, you know, would the editors show up? Yeah. You know, there's, that's there's the a, part that I, I'm curious about. You're, I, there's a big idea in there, Nick. You could have an entire building, right, that has different rooms. And this is the lighting room. This is the cinematography room. This is the writing room. This is the, you know what I mean? And and then you could do that. And it's just like hiring a personal trainer. There's all the accountability. There's all the network effect that, that works. Cause we understand how human psychology works and and full disclosure. I grew up with a psychologist in my house. My father worked at a mental Institute for 30 years and I grew up around all these interesting concepts and interesting people, quite frankly, And one of the concepts he taught me was that people respond to negative inputs more than they respond to positive ones. And that's really unfortunate, but we see that play out all the time, right? You could get a hundred great comments on Twitter and the one person who's dissing you and wants to fight you, it ruins your day. Yep. I'm pretty sure I got into a Twitter argument or debate with someone that was just either a gross troll or was a robot. Uh Uh-huh. And I thought to myself, Chris, you promised yourself you were never, ever, ever going to do that. Right. And yeah. I've never done it since. And it's like, just let it roll off your back. Let the comments slide. 
and let it go. But you can see how it plays out in real life. You respond to that negative more than the positive. So that's, so that's why you have applications out there that really truly effective applications where they say, okay, you make a promise. So you get with a friend. So I get with you, Nick, right? We both have the app and you, you say, okay, Chris, you make a promise. And I say, Nick, you make a promise. Okay. Nick, your promise is you're not going to have caffeine for 30 days. And you say, okay, got it. And you say, Chris, you're not going to have alcohol for 30 days. I say, okay, got it. Okay. What are you waging, Chris? Okay. If I drink alcohol in 30 days, or let's say something even more verifiable, I have to show you a picture of my weight today, and then I have to be five pounds lighter at the end of the month. Let's just change it from alcohol to weight. Okay. Right. Something that's, like you said, verifiable. Right. Verifiable between us virtually. Okay. If I'm not that weight at the end of 30 days, you get to, and I agree to this, you get to post a very compromising picture of me online. Or you get to say that I'm a supporter of Nazis, right? Something outrageous. No, no, no. no. Right? I just, that's, that's just crazy because that'll just mess up your life. No, it, I think it, that it, it will. But, but here's the thing. It won't because I will lose that weight. Does that make right, sense? <laughs> I will not want that to happen. And then you wager something else that's detrimental to your actual life. Right, yeah, you're going to yeah. lose the weight. So we psychology knows that. They that's, know that's, that that's, that's how you that's do it. Burn your boats. That's that burn, your, burn boat your boats. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's death ground. It's death ground. Yeah. So yeah, no way that, out, bro. That, <laughs> that's that, no, no. There's only one way out, and it's through that right. that fat you have on your stomach. So, that's right. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, I think it could work because you set up this thing where you try to find a way to put people on death ground. They show up, and it becomes a habit. Because and, and so with that thought in mind, I want to touch on what you just said about. Uh, my process. You talked about your process and how you were able to write a poem a day or multiple poems a day for three years straight. And it's like, for you, it's like, let me go find the inspiration. Let me open this application. If that app didn't exist, you might not have the discipline, right? Yep. So for me, when I was early on in songwriting, I was learning the craft of it from a syllabic level. I was trying to be Jacob Collier on this shit. Like I was like, okay, this line, this type of song does this way and how many number one hits had this format okay how many okay seven syllables first line uh 11 syllables second line right i was breaking it down to that level so i would go to a coffee shop and in this case it was fido which i love i've talked about that before i talked about it with corby linker i believe i'd go to fido they would have free newspapers which was great i'd read those newspapers and i would pick a headline out now if you don't know this, in journalism, there's a headline writer and there's a there's a the actual writer. So the people who write the headlines are different than the people who write the the actual piece sometimes. So anyway, that's why you can get a differentiation. That's why the headlines in one newspaper seem so much better than one in another, right? So anyway, I'd pick one that say that sounds like a song. That sounds like a song. Let me see if I can write a song from that right now. And do it in a in a particular format, Nick. So this was like a specific type of so verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, for example, or some other format, right? Verse, verse, bridge, verse, or verse, verse, bridge, key change, vamp, 
right? So you're writing all these different types of styles based on some arbitrary news. And then I would take it over across the street to Vanderbilt University, where I met you. <laughs> and then <laughs> I would play it. I would then try to formulate music around the words and I'd get instant feedback from the students that were around the piano. That was when I was learning to be a better songwriter. These days, it's a little bit different. I try my very best to be present in the moment. Well, the downside of being present or trying to be in the moment all the time is that you might not give yourself time. So if you're always in the present, you never have a moment to reflect on what something meant to you. So therefore, a lot of my writing is nostalgic. And I'm often coming from a place of reminiscing about something I experienced and trying to recall how it truly made me feel. That, my friend, is called a moment of inspiration. And so I find that when I sit down on the piano and I'm just not inspired, but I'm just sitting down to play, I play a bunch of, it ends up being like handwork. You know what I mean? You're just practicing. You're just moving your hands across the keys with no purpose. You're just loosening your fingers up. You're doing things. Maybe you're singing old stuff that you wrote when you had a moment of inspiration, right? That was working and you're trying to work it out. But when something new happens, Nick, for me, it's always a moment of inspiration. I'm always thinking about something that meant so much to me that I can't ever get back. There's always a wound that hasn't completely healed over yet that I can still take moments from and insert into the piano to, to drive something meaningful. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, I think the first thing that comes to my mind when you say that is, you know, if you're providing advice to, you know, creatives out there, then it's search your scars. Mm. Yes. Right. Like that's, that might be it. it. Like if you want to write that kind of music, because it it can do a number on you. It well. can, but but the thing is, is that it's not even that type of music or that type of story, you know, because, you know, even as you search your scars, you know, basically looking back to the history of your life and some of the things like you, like you said earlier about psychology, right? Sometimes it's the most painful things that um, created this emotion or create this response, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's all that it, cre- that, that what it creates has to always be negative. Right. Right. So searching your scars might actually create an opportunity for you to, you know, recollect the person or the situation that healed you. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that. And you might write about that. But I think that the, the idea behind that is, you know, if we take it back to the premise here about, you know, whether or not you sit around and wait for inspiration versus, you know, whether you go seek it, you know, if you're sitting around and, you know, let's say you're actually attempting to seek it out. You're reading things, you're watching movies, you're listening to music. And there is, uh, you could say that you can't find the inspiration you're looking for. I feel like what you said about, you know, basically searching your scars isn't like, it's inevitable. Like you're going to find something there because of the emotional connection to that history, whether again, it's negative or positive, whatever it is, like some of our scars you know, I've got scars on my legs from playing soccer, dude. Like I'm good with that. Like, it's just, it is what it is, you know? And I can remember, I think I actually have a scar right. I think it's below my right rib. And, you know, I just remember a goalkeeper came out and straight like Kung Fu kicked me 
you know, in the chest. And I, I blocked it with one hand and he got my ribs. Right. So he like bruised my wrists, sliced yeah. my ribs. Oh my God. But like, it was all in the heat of battle, you know, like that's, that's what I, I don't remember it being a, a, like a negative, like this guy hurt me or whatever. No, it was just in the heat of battle. And, and I love battling on the soccer field and, you know, it's things like that. So again, searching your scars doesn't have to be a negative thing, but it's just basically searching through, you know, some of the pain, some of the hurt that, you know, could have had, you know, a bunch of reasons for happening. Um, but I think that's, if you're not finding it elsewhere, basically the point is if you're not finding it external to yourself, Right. You might be able to find that inspiration in your own past and that might bring something, you know, to bear. Um, but well, I'll also well, offer let me, that. Yeah. Let me bring this full circle, though, before yeah, you ahead. jump on that. Because I didn't connect the two moments that I talked about. And this might either add to or change what you were just about to say as you were going to. Yep. Go for it. Summarize. Right. The early experience of practicing writing songs from newspapers developed the habit I needed to go to a better place that's driven by memories, scars, wounds, and inspiration. I would not be able to do what I do now if I hadn't developed the muscle early and the education early on how to do it. So I wonder, is there a time in which something changes, right? Like there, where there's a, a, the chasm is closed a little bit. I think about Dunning-Kruger effect, which is this idea that the people who aren't the most confident, the people who are the most sure that they have the, the answers and the skill are, are typically the least skilled and the least effective. But beginners tend to not suffer from Dunning-Kruger because they don't know what they don't know. So they have no confidence. So they're not going to show up on this scale at all. They're not going to show up as someone who's overly confident and actually has no skill. They don't know anything. But my problem with the findings of the Dunning-Kruger effect is that I think there does come a point where you are an expert and there's a good reason to be confident. But the mystery is when do you get to that point and how many hours have you put in where you weren't inspired, where you just were developing the muscle around the discipline of doing the thing that that thing Priscilla wise talked about, you're going to sit down for five minutes every day. You're going to write minimum of five minutes and see how long it takes you. But, but there comes a point where you do that so often where now you can, now you've built a muscle, you have an ex, you have expertise in it, you're confident and you've sort of passed the, the benchmark for Dunning-Kruger effect, basically through, through your own, you know, expertise. And then because there's, um, Annie Leibovitz, I think is quoted as saying all humility is fake humility. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, Nick, but I love the quote, right? Sometimes, yeah, it's sometimes it's that Kanye West thing where it's like, I don't know what it means, but it's provocative and it gets the people yeah, right. going. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know what it means, but it's provocative and it gets the people going. And I think, I think about that and I say, okay, if I am Stevie Wonder, I probably have an open mind for learning 
So I'm not going to be one of those people that suffer from Dunning-Kruger effect where I'm overconfident because it's clear and demonstrable that I have the skill. But if I'm Stevie, I probably also don't say out loud like how awesome I am because I know that I'm Stevie Wonder and they know that I'm Stevie Wonder. And so I don't have to say that. And so that's fake humility. <laughs> like he knows he's the fucking man, right? <laughs> so he doesn't have to say it out loud. So therefore he doesn't show up on this sort of Dunning-Kruger effect scale, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, if I, if I take it back a little bit and I, I think about, you know, what you said about doing the same thing, um, you know, kind of over and over again, right? You'd like, you know, look at these headlines and, and just keep kind of training yourself and I think that's what it comes down to. So we bring it back to, you know, our, our filmmaking uh, audience here. And, and we go back to what Priscilla said about the five minutes. It's like, and the same thing with fitness. It's all about consistency, mm-hmm. right? So if you're being, if you're consistently doing the five minutes, then at some point, you know, what you're doing in those five minutes, you build muscle memory too, right? And if in those five minutes, you're not just writing, editing, doing cinematography, lighting, whatever it is you're doing. Um, You're also learning in the process. You're also becoming inspired in the process. So all of those things that you do in five minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes become part of the muscle memory. So that greatness comes because you're more easily able to identify the inspiration. You're more easily able to apply the inspiration, you're more easily able to go through the necessary motions. It's like, you know, my daughter plays volleyball and she's always talking about, you know, getting in extra reps. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, right? It's not like it's an expertise necessarily when you think about the, the nature of an expertise. Like you think of somebody who's got this expertise where you learned something, right? You've got this, you know, crazy skill that you've developed. It's like, no, sometimes the reps is basically, that's what it is. It's repetitions, right? You didn't learn how to do that thing differently or better. You just learn how to do that thing consistently, right? And that consistency is what drives you to that point where you do have the confidence because you've done it a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand, a million times over such that the muscle memory is so strong that you don't even have to think about it anymore. So I think, you know, again, back to what Priscilla said, yeah, if you devote that time and maybe that time expands, right? You start with five, then you go to 10, then you go to 30, maybe it's an hour, whatever it is. If you're consistently behaving in that way, then at some point you'll be at, you know, at basically at this place in your art yeah. that is just, it just comes easily. Yeah. She and, and what she's talking about, I think, and what others that have said similar things are talking about. So whether you're reading daily rituals or some Mary Oliver book or whatever, it's like they're teaching you how to be free. I mean, when you start out and you don't have that discipline, you're a closed flower. And when you start to get those reps in, like you talked about Nick, then you start to bloom. And when you open that up and your petals open and widen and, and start to blossom, what can you get? You get, you get sunlight, you get inspiration. You're now wider. You're open to catching more things uh, and being receptive 
to more things around you. And so the inspiration, like you said, just comes easier because now you're open to it. You can hear the music of it a little bit clearer, a little bit better. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I love the I'll, idea. I'll add to that one a little bit. Yeah. And the other thing that just you made me think about was you know, when you said opening up, you know, I, I thought about the corollary again to, to fitness. It's like when you get the reps in on whatever it is you're doing, you're also removing obstacles. So here's an example. It's like uh, the idea of becoming flexible, you know, through, uh, you know, mobility training or stretching, right? As you train on that and you become more mobile, then you're able to do new exercises. You're able to go through different ranges of motion. You're able to potentially play sports that you couldn't play before because now you're more mobile. And I think about the same thing from the creative aspect is that if you're no longer struggling with some of the, you could call it basic impediments, then the sky becomes the limit, mm -hmm. right? So if you were struggling with finding inspiration before, then it impeded everything you wanted to do afterwards. Like you could not demonstrate your creativity because you weren't inspired to do so, right? That one obstacle blocked you from doing all this other stuff. Yep. Okay. Now through repetition, right? Through this practice, you've been able to identify and find inspiration. Now you're able to write, right? Now you're able to edit, light, perform, do your cinematography, like whatever it is, right? Now you're able to do those things. Now you're doing these things over and over and over again. And there's some aspect of it. Let's say it's, you know, you're writing. Well, after a while, your, um, your control over the, your use of words, whether it's just the grammatical part of it, or it's the tone that you're putting in there over time, that will become muscle memory as well. So correcting your grammar yes. or correcting or adjusting the tone are no longer problems for you. And once that's not a problem for you, then it opens you to the next thing, right? Like every time you create muscle memory from one of these things, you now open yourself up like that flower that you mentioned to the next thing that you could be capable of. And it continues to happen through this repetition. It continues to happen through, you know, the exercise, you know, of the creativity. And I think the other part, which is why I love this uh, flower analogy, is that, you know, for some reason, you know, I know that you and I both, we, we, we love beautiful things and especially, you know, nature, natural things, right, that exist. And we can find beauty in the flower that is closed. But most people, I would say, find greater beauty in the flower that's open. Mm -hmm. Okay. So imagine now you're a closed flower, as you said, and you begin to open. Well, what does that do? That now attracts other people to you, right? You're now attracting other creatives, you might be attracting investors. You might be attracting distributors, whatever it is. But as you open up and you only open up through this repetition that's gotten you there, you now attract others to your art. Yes. Which is the next step of it. So, yeah, I think that this is it's a thing that basically is like the gift that keeps on giving and then brings other people into your sphere as well. So, yeah, I think it's a you know, leveraging this type of behavior at a minimum, just doing the thing, getting your reps in, knocking it out and getting back to what we started out this discussion with about the inspiration. If you can align yourself 
with at least one other person that keeps you accountable to the repetition, right? Because the repetition is not that easy to do on your own. But if you can align yourself with at least one other person that keeps you accountable to that, then you'll be surprised how much you can open up and how much you will attract others through that growing creativity. Yeah, it's true. And there's a couple of examples of that in our own sphere that have happened sort of these, these things that have happened lately are our good friend of the podcast and good friend in general, Maki Dapp winning an award, him having all these doubts, but he has this repetition, right? He has this constant connection with all these creatives and he keeps getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And now he's up for an award for his commercial that, that he recently shot. I'm forgetting, um, what the name of the company it's a it's a litter box company, I believe. Litter robot. Yeah, litter, the, litter robot. Yeah. And yep. so anyone listening, please check that out. Then our, our good friend Ed Pryor and, and Wes um, Edwards also up for music video of the year for a Dirk Bentley video where that's just Ed, Ed's this guy. And, and hopefully we can have him on in the podcast soon. But Ed's this guy who just kept shooting videos for free for people. Right. Just connecting. Yep, so, it, right. so it reminds me of of this John Muir quote, which is when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. And I think that's a powerful place for us to stop, because I think that might be what it is, that both answers are, are incomplete. Yes, let inspiration hit you and let it hit you fully and hard and be open to it and be that blossom flower. But to get there, you have to start with the discipline and you have to go seek inspiration versus letting inspiration seek you. So Nick, this has been a fun conversation, my friend. Yeah, always dude. And you know, we can we geek out when it comes to inspiration because, you know, it's a big part of who we are and what we do and, you know, what we aspire to be for the communities that we support. So yeah, it's a great topic. I'm, always willing to, uh, to talk about this one. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you've been listening to us and you feel inspired to do so, reach out to us <laughs> at yeah, contact sure. at bonsai.film. We'd love to hear from you. Comments, concerns, questions, anything contact at bonsai.film. Thank you to those who have been using that thus far. We love the engagement. Also, you can reach out to us on social media. This is probably where most people do it, but we're open to other avenues as well, but you can find us at Instagram and at Twitter at underscore bonsai creative. You can find Nick at on Twitter at Nick Nicholas bugs. I believe that's right. Yeah. On Twitter at yep. Nicholas bugs. You can find me on Twitter at flame in your heart. Your is spelled U R. So flame in your heart on Twitter. If you want to reach out to us directly, if you're on Facebook, you can find us by searching for bonsai creative and our page will come right up. Nick, had a blast. Thank you so much. Will you send us off with the credo, my friend? But of course. So to all of our filmmaking creatives out there, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right, buddy. Peace. All right, man. Yeah, take it easy. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It 
Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.